requiring the importer of record to exercise reasonable care to ensure that any foreign goods that they present for importation to the United States are in Welcome to Simply Trade, brought to you by Global Training Center. My name is Lalo, and together with my co-host, Andy Shiles, we have well over 60 years of combined trade, logistics, and supply chain experience. Along the way, we have seen and experienced different challenges in trade compliance. We decided to put the show together and call on our friends and colleagues in the business to discuss these topics and just hang out with us to shoot the ship on all things trade. Thank you for spending some time with us. Enjoy the show. Hey, uh, I was thinking the other day. Um, you have a you, you have a you have a you have a daughter, right? Yes, uh, she's married now. Okay, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have a I have a couple of kids, and I was thinking the other day. Um, you know, when they were growing up, you always used to try to have them not associate themselves with a certain group of people. Oh man, you always worry about that. It's like. The influence of uh, some folks that uh, may be a bad influence, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm even thinking I, I can't imagine or I can't. Uh, I just think back and maybe I'm. I was one of those kids that people, that parents used to say, <laughs> don't hang around with. But, <laughs> but who knows? Anyway. I don't, yeah. There's that, a that lot of fathers. That, I didn't have. <laughs> well, I was going to say, there's a lot of fathers that hated see me coming up the uh, the step to uh, pick up their daughters for a date or something. Like, oh, no, who's this, you know? But <laughs> Here comes Andy. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> well, anyway, um reason I bring that up is um just by our kids or whoever hanging around with that crowd. I mean, it's... Uh, it's uh, immediate uh, guilty by association type uh, scenario, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you immediately start thinking, hey, the, the, they might be up to no good. So um, how does this relate to trade? <laughs> well, I, like, I, uh, I kind of see where you're going with this is that, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, you have some folks are in your supply chain and, and if they're not of uh, good character, if they're not crossing the T's and dotting the uh, I's for regulations and all that, you yourself could be guilty of uh, by association, right? That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's why um, I've lined up a couple of girls here, ladies, um, really uh, intelligent ladies uh, that are going to be joining us for the podcast today. That we're going to be talking about forced labor, and again, guilty by association. Almost anything that comes out of that Uyghur territory in China, it's almost flagged as automatic. Uh, Forced labor and slavery. Yeah, forced labor, whatever. Yeah, so anyway. Well, well, that's the one thing is that with what we've got is the, uh, you know, folks that, that that's, what are, what are you supposed to do about this? It's that uh, new regulations uh, have taken effect uh, that have been spawned from uh, new legislation. The legislation was passed back in December that uh, we'll be able to talk about uh, today. But also, is uh, it, it became effective in June. There's a lot of talk about the uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. Um, so what do you do about it? I mean, that's what we're going to be getting exactly. into. Right. So it's a really good um, slate that we have here. And uh, you and I talked about these two ladies before, Amy and Anna. Mm -hmm. um, very great uh, background, uh, I believe. Um, we couldn't have found any anyone better than these two ladies. Uh, well, uh, Amy Morgan 
has uh, been around a while. Matter of fact, I, I first met Amy when she uh, was uh, somewhat of a rookie uh, and a, a trade analyst. Uh, very sharp lady, and, and uh, she's uh, she was working for Nordstrom back in those days. Uh, right. And so, anyway, she's uh, got a lot of things to talk about as far as how to incorporate some automation into your supply chain and a few other things to approach. And she's actually got hands-on experience with some things. So that's you know from an importer's perspective. Uh, Anna Inohisa. In Ohosa. I get I could <laughs> did it. You did it. She is you she's gonna kill me. I know it. <laughs> you did it. Anna, you did it. I am so <laughs> sorry. I'm like, it's like I keep butchering that. And it's like it's because my elevator just does not make it to the top sometimes. Um, <laughs> you made it. <laughs> yeah, there. Anna in Ohosa, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anna has come from uh, customs and actually was uh, over in Brussels with the WCO for a while, and uh, but uh, representing uh, U.S. Uh, customs and border protection. And her uh, knowledge and background is very impressive. Folks, you guys can go and, and we have show notes that you can look at their bios and uh, just understand this is that both ladies have impressive uh, credentials and experience, or we wouldn't be talking with them. So we're going to be getting into a great show, uh, and hopefully this will be something that you'll, you know, you'll get a nugget of knowledge that you can use, uh, become a bit more proficient in this uh, forced labor prevention situation, and secondly, be able to identify the next steps, at least for the next, you know, one, two, or three steps that you should be taking in verifying your supply chain. Right. Okay, well, let's bring them on, Andy. All righty. Cutting to the chase, we can talk a little bit about the history on this, but people can gather the history. People can get into more of the details. What usually goes lacking is, okay, so Forced Labor uh, Prevention Act, so what? What's the action that somebody needs to take? Um, and as we're going through there, and one of the questions I'll just tell you right now, Anna, one of the things that I saw that has come up several times, and that is, um, people have supplied customs with what they felt was proof that they've checked out their supply chain. There's no forced labor and customs rejected that. So that's one of those things that is like, okay, what did they supply and what is it you guys were looking for? This is a big deal, not only in the States, obviously, but, you know, uh, in the WCO as a whole across the, the board. I'm sure that in the WCO conversations, China, possibly even Russia, were, were fighting you on some of these committees. At the same time, regardless of that, it's come through how people can, when we're sitting here talking, it's like, well, well they, I've checked out my supply chain as best I can. Anna, why don't you uh, start us off on this segment for uh, the Forced Labor Protection Act. Give us a little bit of a history on, uh, obviously, you've got a very impressive background, not only here in the States, but also in Europe with the WCO. That said, you've probably looked at many regulations and proposals and all of that. Tell us a little bit of uh, why this is such a big deal and what we uh, what's uh, come out of it regarding the regulations. Well, you know, um, thank you, Andy. I'll 
I'll mention that, um, you know, the issue of forced labor is one that the United States has been focused on or has had laws on the books for for a very, very long time. There were some uh, some statutes and you know before 1930, but the 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 forced labor statutes that that we have today is part of the Tariff Act of 1930 under Section 307. I don't want to get too technical on it, but under Section 307, and you know for for many years the U.S. had a consumptive demand clause that had evolved due to business interests and had been put onto the Section 307. Um, and, and what that consumptive demand clause, we're not going to go deep into this, but uh, what that consumptive demand clause said was that <clears throat> the, it, it converted the statute to say that the U.S. was to prohibit the importation of any goods produced in whole or in part with forced labor, prison labor, convict labor, forced child labor, etc., unless the U.S. did not manufacture sufficient quantities of those goods to satisfy U.S. consumers' demand. You and I know that over the last 30 years, at least, the U.S. has offshored manufacturing. And so basically, almost everything qualifies for that, for that exception. And so since that, that clause went into effect, enforcement was, was basically non-existent because everything, you know, practically, um, fit into that exception. So, you know, over the years, Congress has sought to, to try, try to tighten up the, the statute. And they were successful in doing that in 2016 as part of TIFIA, uh of 2015, which is a w- weird uh, misnomer. But as part of TIFTIA, they amended the statute again and removed that consumptive demand clause. And so from that, um, Customs and Border Protection began um, t- taking some enforcement action, building the capability that they didn't have because they weren't able to really take enforcement before. And so <clears throat> they build the, the capability and start issuing withhold release orders under Section 307 and a, a, a few findings as well. Yeah. And so the, the private sector is getting used to kind of what that means and what that process is. Okay, you have a detention for forced labor. You know, what do you have to do to put together an admissibility package? Still a lot of confusion on the part of, of uh, the private sector. But over the last few years, they've kind of been starting to get their act together in in trying to figure out what kinds of supporting documentation, what kind of due diligence they need to uh, undertake with their supply chain. But then uh, Congress felt that there really wasn't enough being done to address the issue of the atrocities that are happening in the Xinjiang uh, autonomous, uh, the, the Xinjiang Uyghur autonomous region of China. And so because the the normal enforcement uh, and, and you call it excuse me for well forgive me for interrupting you in that region um is that what you call it was it xua is it xuar yeah. because it stands okay. for the xinjiang Uyghur right, yeah, autonomous yes. region xuar region so okay um, All right. yeah okay so congress decided that it wasn't enough and that more needed to be done to to really um, make a, a strong statement. You know, back in July of 2020, the U.S. government as a whole issued a, a Xinjiang business advisory. And basically it said, get out of Xinjiang because there's so much forced labor there that you're not going to be able to avoid enforcement. And then in July of 2021, there was an updated Xinjiang business advisory that was issued by the U.S. government. 
And so there's been a lot of a lot of messaging to the public, to the private sector, to other governments that there's a real problem. Um, obviously, there's a real forced labor problem around the world, but there's a real serious problem of forced labor in this region of China. So fast forward um, okay. to December of 2021, and Congress successfully passed this uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. And what it does that's different than what um, the normal 307 enforcement is, is that it institutes a rebuttable presumption that any goods that are tied in any way to the Xinjiang region are presumed to be made with forced labor until they're proved otherwise. And so that's different than than uh, the standards and the thresholds of evidence that are that CBP might consider when looking to see if they're gonna if they're gonna release the goods. What the the enforcement uh, and the provisions that were put in for Xinjiang are modeled after the provisions that we that the U.S. had in place for dealing with North Korea. So there there were already provisions that the U.S. government used to take enforcement action against any goods produced by North Koreans, and that included a rebuttable presumption. So if if the U.S. government had indications that there were any North Koreans involved in making those products, then they would they could prohibit the importation because uh, they were deemed uh, produced with forced labor. Let's talk about the uh, rebuttable uh, presumption. Is that when somebody brings in in today's world, let's take out the uh, controversial uh, countries right now. You just bring in something out of Europe, out of uh, South America, whatever. And as it's coming in, if customs has a question on it, it's assumed that it's valid of what's presented, country of origin, the paperwork and all that. And you can supply, if you will, proof after the fact. Whereas if I've got this correct, and again, understand I'm dumb as a box of rocks here, so you got to simplify this, all right, is that in this particular case, the uh, rebuttable presumption is I have to prove it before it'll be allowed into the commerce. So valid? let me let me maybe maybe put a little finer point on that. Under the, the normal process for, for enforcement okay. for, for 307, um, the government or CBP in particular has had to conduct an investigation and establish reasonable suspicion that those goods, that those particular goods are produced with forced labor. And, and CBP publishes that. They put it on a website. They say, hey, if you buy anything okay. from Amy Morgan's manufacturing, it's going to be made, it's going to be detained and you're going to have to prove that it's not made with forced labor. And so that's, everybody has noticed that that's going to happen. In, in, with regards to rebuttable presumption, okay. The U.S. government doesn't have, uh, you know, they, they, they have published some, you know, high risk connections, right? The, the, as part of the strategy that was published on June 21st, but they don't have to publish anything. They don't have to say anything. They just have to have uh, information that there's a connection. And then because they can establish that connection, then the burden shifts okay. to the importer of record to be able to prove with clear and convincing evidence with a much shorter time frame that those goods are absolutely not made with forced labor or any connection to Xinjiang. Okay. Okay. So again, <laughs> the, it's more than just, yeah, it, it does. I, I'm thinking yes. of the supply chain person where, all right, you've got your, your 
purchasing your outsourcing group that is finding a factory for a widget to be manufactured. And as it's going through with the transportation and logistics folks, a lot of times the compliance, and it's paramount that, in my opinion, compliance needs to be included with the logistics and the purchasing folks, and they ought to be joined at the hip. Not always there, but the point being is this. As the information is flowing through, the compliance are going to need to say, this is the information I need to have before it comes in. Otherwise, you're going to be manufacturing a widget, transporting it, uh, exporting it from you know China in this case, and importing it into the U.S., and it's going to get held up and potentially either have to be returned or destroyed if that information is uh, you know not provided or suspect or whatever. Yeah, one thing that, that I think um, people are uh, maybe confused about is I think that they think that the requirement is new or that, that the rules are absolutely new. I mean, certainly the Uyghur uh, Forced Labor Prevention Act does put in the rebuttable presumption, which is kind of a new, a new thing. But the issue of how CBP uh, conducts enforcement is foundational. And it's and and part of that, and I and I'm going right. to get to what I mean by foundational. Right. So our regulations, or the U.S. government's regulations, say, and and it, this was uh, reinforced in 1993 with the passage of the Customs Modernization Act, along with NAFTA, where um, the burden shifted to the importer of record, requiring the importer of record to exercise reasonable care to ensure that any foreign goods that they present for importation yeah. to the United States are in compliance with all laws, rules, and regulations. Everybody agrees that is on the books, that right. is a requirement. But then how does that get operationalized? Well, that gets operationalized when those goods are presented. Then CBP has five days to decide, do I know enough to let these goods in or do I not know enough to let these goods in? And the do I not know enough or is there a concern can be agriculture related, can be FDA related, it can be IP, IPR related, or it could be forced labor related. And so within those five days, they say, you know what, I can't let these go because I believe that in this case, that there is a connection with Xinjiang. And so the importer of record receives, along with every normal processing, a detention letter that tells them that they have 30 days to provide clear and convincing evidence because these particular goods are being detained um, because the the U.S. believes that these goods are uh, made with forced labor due to a connection with Xinjiang. Okay. Now, with that, of what you're saying, and that it, it, that's, they, I, I like the idea that they have at least five days to make that decision. Am I going to release it or not as far as the customs inspector? It, it's not indefinite. Yet, if uh, they're going to issue a CF-28, I assume, on saying you've got 30 days to provide more, is that how they're no. doing it? Or no. how are they going to? No, no, no. Uh, it, it would be. How are they, a, it's just action, a separate notice? It's a detention notice, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I didn't catch that a while ago. All right. Yeah. So, uh, which is a different uh, situation there. Okay. All right. So, to that extent, when people have provided in response to the detention notice um, 
what customs was hopefully in, in response to what customs is looking for. And customs has rejected that. What is it that the people are, are providing from their companies that is not measuring up? Well, I'll give you a couple of examples. I can't tell you specifically, but I'll give you a couple of examples of what not to do, right? So in the early days, we right. saw detentions under normal 307. And again, recognizing that 307 actually has a lower bar for, for evidence than, than um, the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, um, a shipment would be detained and a company or the importer record had 90 days, which they still do under a normal withhold release order, had 90 days to provide an admissibility package to try to gain the release of that of those goods. And then they would send the equivalent, obviously we do so much digitally now, the equivalent of boxes and boxes of boxes of documents, right? The electronic equivalent of that with no roadmap, with no explanation, with no, no understanding of do these documents even relate to the specific goods that are being detained. I don't care what you did 10 years ago or five years ago, the evidence that you're providing needs to be very focused on, I have container number X, Y, Z, what's in there is what you need to prove. And then tomorrow when they detain container ABC, it's a whole other package you're gonna have to submit for container ABC because we don't know if that's the same merchandise. We don't know what happened with, with those goods. It's a whole, it's a whole other admissibility right. package okay. is submitted by, uh, by the specific detention. So that's one thing that I would say is don't send the kitchen sink, you know, be very focused, be very precise about what's detained and what, what went into the manufacture of that, of those particular goods. The other thing is, that. So let me let me hang on just a second. <laughs> so let me rephrase what I just heard just for a second. Okay. Is that the strategy that maybe some would use to inundate customs with an overload of information, whether it's relevant or not relevant? It sounds like most of it was not relevant. Right. Is not a good strategy in responding exactly. to this. Exactly. That be a fair statement. That's okay. a very fair statement. Okay. So what's the next thing? Yeah, the next thing is uh, submit your package as quickly as possible. Uh, obviously, you need to do the research and have your information available before you send the merchandise to the U.S., ideally, because you're not going to have a whole lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to submit your package to CBP, and CBP needs to make a decision relatively quick because up at the 90-day mark, um, the importer record um, accrues uh, protest rights and a cruise might not be the right word, but is eligible to, right. to file right. a protest and right. CBP can, can just say, you know what? We failed to, we don't, we haven't had time to review it. So we're excluding it because we, we can't ad- admit it. We can't determine that it's admissible. So that, so the sooner that the package is submitted, the better. And as it relates to the Uyghur, uh, forced labor prevention act, that time frame is 30 days. So, there's okay. no way that you are going to be able to submit a package for any evidence that you haven't already gathered within 30 days. I, I don't know how that can possibly be done with a with a Chinese supply chain. Right. So um, definitely the answer is start early, start now. You should have started yesterday, but, you know, start now. Hey, Andy. So 
I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, we're coming at the end of the um, the 20 minutes. Uh, but this is such an exciting show. I mean, w we need to keep on going. Uh, mm -hmm. w we need to hear from Amy. Um, let's just go ahead and uh, cut it here, and okay. hopefully everybody will tune in later. And uh, what, what do you? What did we take away from today's episode? Andy? Okay, one of the things that as we're looking at is again, you need to become proficient with the current legislation as well as the regulation. And with that, right. again, you can look at uh, the show notes uh, for some of that. Here's another thing. As far as a resource, if you've got some questions regarding should your, would your company be impacted by some of the commodities that would be coming out of the northwest uh, region of China, which is that Uyghur region, um, you should be uh, reaching out to Anna or to any of the other consultants and experts in the field. But the key again, become proficient. That's key. You need to read. It doesn't take that long. Read the, the, uh, the law, read the, uh, uh, the regulations and the, uh, federal registry notices, uh, that gets you up to par on not only what was passed, but gives you an idea of what's expected as, uh, of you, especially being an importer. And then the next thing we're going to be talking about in the next show, okay, what do you do about it? It's like exactly you, the expectations are big, but there's a lot of actions to fulfill those expectations. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you, Andy. And then uh, let's uh, wrap it up and uh, let's, let's, um, um, Y'all tune in for the next show. Thank All you. right. Hey, folks, appreciate your support of Simply Trade. And uh, hopefully this will be something that, again, you can get that negative knowledge that you can take with you and uh, be able to identify the uh, steps, uh, your next steps on what you need to do for this. Have a good day. Thank you very much for joining us. Simply Trade is brought to you by the generous contributions of Global Training Center. You can follow the show and GTC on LinkedIn or Twitter and other social networks. Make sure you check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of today's show with all the important notes. Also, make sure that you share this with a friend and subscribe on your favorite streaming platform. We really like hearing from you. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest in the show or would like to sponsor Simply Trade or suggest any topic you would like for us to discuss, please contact us via email at simplytrade at globaltrainingcenter.com or you can DM us on Twitter at simplytradepod. Thank you again for the privilege of your time. Happy trading. Simply Trade is not a law firm or an advisor. The topics and discussions conducted by Simply Trade hosts and guests should not be considered and is not intended to substitute legal advice. You should seek appropriate counsel for your own situation. These conversations and information are directed towards listeners in the United States for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be substituted for legal advice. No listener or viewer of this podcast should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information on this podcast without first seeking legal advice from counsel. Information on this podcast may not be up to date depending on the time of publishing and the time of viewership. The content of this posting is provided as is. No representations are made that the content is error-free. The views expressed in or through this podcast are those of the individual speakers, not those of their respective employers or Global Training Center as a whole. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast are hereby expressly disclaimed.